0: The gods created the universe. It was the other way about. The universe created the gods. Before there were gods, heaven and earth had been formed. They were the first parents. The titans were their children, and the gods were their grandchildren. These are the words by Edith Hamilton in her book Mythology, The Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes, and it's a perfect introduction for us as we embark on a rather epic voyage of our own through the world of Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, we are treated to a coloured and vibrant range of gods, goddesses, heroes and monsters, some that seem larger than life in their vivid personalities and epic exploits. Unlike modern religions, the tales of the gods are not confined to a single book, but were instead something of an old tradition that spread during the Bronze Age, but those that were much later written into literature. Many will be familiar with the poet Homer, who wrote the epics, the Iliad and the Odyssey, as well as the poet Hesiod and the Theogony, both of which recount some of the greatest Greek mythological tales that we know today, and the stark morals that are littered throughout each telling. Much wisdom can be derived from the stories we are told about the gods, and this is partly due to the fact that the gods demonstrate some very human tendencies. They are in effect like humans themselves capable of experiencing jealousy, hatred, scorn and sadness. They do not present themselves as all-powerful and all-knowing beings, nor do they attempt to hide their emotional dispositions. For this, they become far more relatable to us than most ideas of God from mainstream religions of today, in that the Greek gods and the other associated characters from the mythology are essentially a reflection of ourselves. For this reason, choosing one of these characters to start this series off with proved to be a difficult decision. But when we think about a character who embodies the personality, the motives, and the fears of man, the titan Cronus certainly springs to mind. Not only does Cronus appeal to us as a hero who thwarted his father's tyranny, but we also see him demonstrate hubris and a hunger for power that essentially turns him into that which he was asked to stop. Cronus is a perfect example of a man striving hard for what he wants, with the utmost good intentions, but then once he gets it, he becomes someone else, someone far darker than he was before. It's a nod to the many pitfalls that man must deal with when it comes to success, in that sometimes men lose themselves once they've made it, or they forget who they were, and more often than not, they turn against that which they fought so hard against. In a way, like with Cronus, It is his achievement of his mission which changes him, and some of us may have seen this same shift in attitude with people who, in a sense, forget where they came from. Success in some cases morphs their principles, alters their thought process, and might even have them succumb to greed, as they want for more and more. What is it that Harvey Dent once told us from The Dark Knight? You either die the hero, or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. But how does this all take place in the stories from greek mythology? our story begins with the primordial deity known as uranus the god of the sky and the primordial deity known as gaia the goddess of earth the two deities were husband and wife and gaia sometimes seen as uranus's mother would bear him 12 children these being the original 12 titans of greek mythology The titans would be those who preceded the olympians that we are more familiar with, such as Zeus and Poseidon. And it was these 12 titans who were worshipped as the divine leaders, those that also walked amongst the mortals in what was deemed the golden age of men. The titans were what many considered to be the old gods, and were of tremendous size and strength. Amongst the titans being born were the giants, the Cyclopes and the Hecatonchires. But unlike the giants, these were thought by their father Uranus to be repulsive looking creatures and ones he couldn't stand the sight of. Each time Gaia gave birth to one, Uranus would shove them back into the womb, inflicting agonising pain upon the goddess. In some variations, Uranus stuffed the giants deep within the earth, which you might have said was Gaia herself, in a place known as Tartarus, an abyss used to imprison the unsightly creatures. Grief-stricken that her children were being treated so, as well as being in excruciating pain, Gaia had stopped a plan to free her children. She fashioned a sickle out of adamantine, and beseeched her titan children to come to her aid, to put an end to their father's awful rule, and to take his place. Amongst the titans though, none were so bold as to go against their father, none except Cronus we immediately begin to get a sense of a hero in Cronus. Not only is he the only one to stand up for his mother amongst his siblings, but he is also the youngest sibling, furthermore highlighting how brave he is, how virtuous he is in comparison to his older siblings, and how righteous he is, and that despite the magnitude of the task, he is still prepared to do it. Interestingly, it is believed that Cronus hanged about in Tartarus, where he moped about cursing the name of his father Uranus. So you might say that his motivations for killing his father, actually came about because of a hatred for his father, and not because he was brave at all. In a mythos by Stephen Fry, Fry refers to Cronus as Hamlet, given his introspections, with a bit of Macbeth, given his later ambition, as well as a bit of Hannibal Lecter. Considering Cronus's burden of killing someone, his desire to maintain his eventual throne, and the sadistic way he proceeds to rule, I'd say these comparisons are right on the money. Gaia convinces Cronus to do away with his father, and this sees Cronus castrate Uranus with the sickle. In some variations, Gaia hides Cronus in her womb, and when Uranus comes for sex, Cronus reaches out and dismembers him. Uranus gave a loud shrieking cry, and immediately flew up to the sky, never to return to his former glory as the king of all gods. He bled profusely during this time, and his severed testicles were cast into the ocean by his usurper son. From the blood that spilled on the earth, there came forth more of the giants, as well as the Iriniyes, also known as the Furies, which were female deities of vengeance, and the Melii, which were minor female deities associated with the Ash Tree, and better known as Nymphs. Amongst those born was also the goddess Aphrodite. The goddess associated with love, beauty, pleasure, passion and procreation. In the wake of this, Cronus declares himself the king of all gods. He receives no retaliation from his father, who retreats to the sky, perhaps ashamed and in too much pain to do much about it. Cronus's victory is absolute. He is held as a hero for his usurpation, for the relieving of his mother's pain and the saving of his giant brothers and sisters, were imprisoned in Tartarus. His status as a noble, valiant protagonist is firmly established here, and we recognise in him the virtues of a man overcoming the odds, standing up for his mother, and liberating those that are unfairly imprisoned. Here Cronus demonstrates traits that we would certainly find attractive in other people, and it is here that Cronus is held at the pinnacle of our celebration. That soon changes though, Cronus married his sister Rhea, and for a while everyone seemed content. Gaia was free from the pain of having her children stuffed back into her womb, and was therefore at more liberty to produce an abundance of crops for the humans. The humans appeared to be living in a time of peace, where there was no war, no famine, and no plagues, and for the most part it appeared to be a blissful time to be alive. Some also believed that the Titans themselves lived amongst the humans, and man and deity coexisted like neighbours, but by this point it appears that Cronus grew too used to being the king. He learned to enjoy the comforts that ruling gave him, allowed himself to become prideful in his position, and shuddered at the thought of losing everything he had gained. In this, he became most protective over his throne, so much so that the mere suggestion that he would lose it saw him change into a most violent god. In some stories, it is both Uranus and Gaia who speak to Cronus, telling him that at some point one of his sons is going to usurp him. It is this suggestion that plants doubt in Cronus's head, causing him to become obsessed with maintaining that which he has. In other versions, Uranus curses Cronus after he has been castrated by him, damning him to be betrayed by his children the same way his own child had betrayed him. Cronus grew paranoid in the wake of this declaration, and as a result, he once again imprisoned the Cyclopes and the Hecatonchires in Tartarus, the exact same way his father had done before him. In fact, he even goes a step further by placing the dragoness Campi to guard Tartarus to ensure none of them escape. It just goes to show how far Cronus was willing to go to protect his status, and also how unravelled he was becoming. In such a short space of time, he is no longer heroic, but instead an insecure and malicious figure who might actually be worse than his father. Remember, Uranus only imprisoned the giants because he thought they were ugly, but Cronus is far more devious and far more calculating, in that he does this so that his rulership isn't threatened. Cronus shows us a side to him that is much uglier than his father's, in that he betrays those he had once saved for totally selfish reasons. Furthermore, he becomes so affected by the prophecy of being usurped by his children that he begins to swallow them as quickly as his wife Rhea gives birth to them. In this, we see that the apple really didn't fall far from the tree. Rhea is not blind to the transformation of Cronus and likely saw him the same way Gaia saw Uranus. He is, after all, consuming her newly born children right in front of her, denying her of motherhood, also that he may keep his kingdom. The fact that he is even willing to do this to his own children, shows us what type of character Cronus becomes, a villain of the most vilest kind. Rhea is at a loss over what to do. She learns that she is pregnant with her sixth child, and of course fears for his fate. She has no choice but to turn to Gaia for help. Gaia urged Rhea to flee to Crete, where she was able to give birth to a son in secret a son who would be named none other than Zeus. Like clockwork, it wasn't long before Cronus' appetite for babies came over him, and he came to swallow the boy, just like he'd done with the rest of Rhea's children. But Rhea hid the child, and instead wrapped up a large stone in cloth, before handing it to Cronus. Mistaking this bundle for the baby, Cronus swallowed it whole, and was none the wiser that Zeus was still alive. Zeus was left with the nymphs at Crete, and it was they that would raise him, Here he who would eventually overthrow the mad Cronus. It's hard to see Cronus at this point as anything other than insane. The prophecy of his downfall had truly compromised his mental well-being, for he becomes so absolutely fixated on preserving his rule that he would do anything. It's almost as if he is a completely different person, certainly no longer a hero, a desperate god trying his best to cling onto the vestiges of his power. We can certainly see how human Cronus is, in that he becomes blinded by his own desires and insecurities, something which causes him to act so absurdly. We see this sort of behaviour in humans frequently, where one may make a rash decision or even a reckless decision when their back is against the wall. We see it often in people who become obsessed with a certain fear or worry, and that their anxiety literally eats away at them from the inside out, causing them to act a little crazy. It further illustrates the point of how much the gods in Greek mythology are reflections of ourselves, and whilst they may have such awesome powers, they too are filled by the same emotional and mental vices as us. Many years would pass before Zeus would have his moment to strike. Having acquired a vomit-inducing beverage from the titan Metis, Zeus would infiltrate Cronus' kingdom and disguise himself as his cupbearer. When Cronus summoned his wine, Zeus handed him the concoction prepared by Metis, which would see Cronus vomiting up all the children he had consumed. Amongst those disgorged were the gods and goddesses Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon, all of whom were vexed for having been swallowed by their father. Together with Zeus, and the combined efforts of the imprisoned Cyclopes and the Hecatonchires, they would see Cronus' worst fear become a reality, in an event Hesiod referred to as the Titanocomy. Here Cronus is defeated and overthrown by his children, much like he had overthrown Uranus. Although at least there was no castration going on this time. Instead we are given two versions, where either Cronus was able to escape to the Italian city of Latium, now known as Lazio, or he was shown the same fate he had shown the giants and placed into Tartarus himself.